With that, let's read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. For two nights, the young woman who was trying to find her way in life had experienced a dream about birds singing in the night. What could it mean, she thought. Music was integral to her life. The songbirds and the night had to have some significance to her, she thought. The next night she was awakened at 3 a.m. from birds singing. Pitch black, no sun in sight, yet the birds sang like the sun was dawning in the morning light. Just like in her dreams, the birds sang in the darkness. The singer found herself inspired. Despite the darkness, she was convinced that the birds sang in anticipation, in hopeful expectation of the morning light. And while that story produced enough inspiration to generate the pop singer's stage name, Nightbird, that idea also became an anthem for her life. Despite the trials and difficulties of a failing marriage, despite getting dealt a hand that no one would choose in being diagnosed with cancer not once, not twice, but three times before she turned 30, the darkness would not defeat her. In hopeful anticipation for the morning light, she sang. She sang knowing that in the end, the light wins and the darkness is overcome. If you haven't had a chance, I encourage you to go on YouTube and type Nightbird. Uh, she was on America's Got, Got Talent. She got Simon's Golden Buzzer. Um, and it's a pretty inspiring story. As we look this morning, though, we also see that hopeful anticipation that the darkness has been overcome. We, too, can rejoice that God is light. We can exult in the truth that our God, in our God, there is no darkness at all. Coming here this morning, I know that some of us come with 
heavy baggage from this past week or this past month or maybe this past year. Because of sin, all throughout our life there is difficulty and despair. Because of sin, there is darkness and decay all around us, affecting us at every turn, every corner of our lives. And I hope this morning that we take heart and take hold of the promise that is in Christ Jesus. That we are reminded of what we see too in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The main theme for this passage that we're looking at this morning is found in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. As further explanation of what it means for us that God is light, John tells us that he does not cast out those who walk in the light. He stands ready to forgive. And he is not a liar and in fact cannot lie. As followers of Jesus, we walk in the light by glorifying God and confessing our sin. We know that because of the fall that we see in Genesis chapter 3, that we are born with a natural bent towards sin. In our flesh, we continually turn away from God and seek value and benefit in other things. Our pride and the deception of the evil one causes us to stumble. Despite our best efforts, we turn away from the light and seek the darkness. If but for like a moment, like Peter's denial three times before the crow of the rooster, we lose sight of God who is the light of life. But consider this morning, then, as we examine who God reveals to us in this set of verses, that we, as a church, come together on one accord, pointing, groaning, straining for the joy and freedom that has been provided in Christ Jesus in hopeful anticipation of the darkness being fully overcome. So we see that God is light, and that with that we're going to begin unpacking three additional explanations and truths of what it means that God is light. First, in verses 6 and 7, that he does not cast out those who walk in the light, which is, should be, as we just sang recently, a blessed assurance to those who are following in Christ Jesus. Secondly, that he is without sin, faithful and just to forgive, which we'll see in verses 8 and 9, and in verse 10, he is not a liar. In fact, he cannot lie. 
So with that, we'll start looking at what it means that God does not cast out those who walk in the light. In verses 6 and 7, the Apostle John looks at fellowship and instructs the readers what will cut them off from fellowship. And then in verse 7, what makes fellowship possible? If you recall the context of this letter, from which I preached from the first four verses of 1 John a few months ago in February, the Apostle John is writing to a church in Jerusalem who are suffering from a church split. His purpose then here is to encourage the church, a body who is likely questioning what true fellowship really was, what sharing a stake in the truth of the gospel consisted of. And as we saw in the first four verses, he reminded the church that they were united firmly and foundationally in the truth of who Jesus is. Totally man and totally God. The Word from the beginning made flesh. The Apostle John is affirming the church in Jerusalem that their fellowship is founded on Jesus being who he says he is. And so in verses 6 and 7, he continues in this fellowship vein. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What cuts us off from fellowship with God and fellowship with one another is lies. Is saying we have fellowship with God while walking in darkness. A false understanding or an unwillingness to acknowledge and live in light of who God is as light, and to turn away from what is darkness. So if lies, saying we have fellowship with God, but we continue to walk in darkness, is what cuts us off from fellowship with God and with one another, then what allows us to have fellowship? For that, we look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God and with one another. And we see then a direct understanding of who God is as our Redeemer. We see it says here that the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all, yes, all unrighteousness. The beauty of these two verses, 6 and 7, together is that it clearly communicates the truth of the gospel. We walk in darkness and in sin. We therefore don't have fellowship with God. However, 
If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. We accept the free gift of salvation provided us from the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ. While our sin, while darkness separates us from God, the shed blood of Jesus brings us back into fellowship with him. What does that tell us about God? That he therefore does not cast out those who walk in the light. Those who walk in darkness are not with, with him. They are cast away for eternity. But for those who walk in the truth, who acknowledge who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Those who place their hope and trust in the truth of what Christ has accomplished are assured of our salvation. May we continually rest and be comforted by that assurance. Now we continue and see that again in the next two verses, the Apostle John uses a similar approach to reveal more about God. First, he reveals what cuts us off from the light. Right? Previously, he looked at what cuts us off and what allows for us to have fellowship. Now he looks at what cuts us off from the light, followed by what makes walking in the light possible. Verses 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To walk in the light, we must say, revealing what we know and believe as truth, that we are sinners. We cannot deceive ourselves into thinking we are righteous apart from Jesus Christ. We cannot convince ourselves that we aren't sinning because our sin doesn't seem as egregious or affecting others as much as those on our left and our right or as bad as those other people I know. No, all of us here are sinners in need of a Savior. From King Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does, not, who does good and never sins. And again, and most clearly in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But as we see in verse 24, the answer, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Church, if we fail, to acknowledge our sinfulness. We are counting ourselves equal to Jesus 
the only one who never sinned. Because of that idea, John Piper, in a sermon from 1985, explained or provided that the claim of sinlessness is not only self-deception, it is also blasphemy. Consider that idea with me this morning. Our unwillingness or discomfort with confessing our sin to a holy God is not only self-deception, but is also blasphemy. Justifying our sinful action, or even our sinful thoughts, are making less of God in our hearts and minds, and making less of God to those around us. Making little of our sin is spitting in the face of Jesus and making little of his sinlessness and the sacrifice he made on our behalf. In all honesty, too many times do I find myself attempting to justify the darkness as light too full of pride and too ashamed to confess to God that I'm wrong and that I've messed up again. Too foolish to recognize that, again, I've failed to obey His commands. Too busy or caught up in the here and now to quiet my heart and allow God to reveal my sin to ask him to help me to turn from my sinful ways. Kneel at the cross and acknowledge him who who overcame my sin. Church, do you find yourself there? Do you find yourself existing consistently in a state of worldly comfort? of seeking what we deem as pleasure and comfort instead of the real pleasure and comfort of walking in the light? Can we assess Buffalo City Church or ask God to help us recognize that we have failed to love our neighbor by caring and ensuring our own needs and well-being? are taken care of with a much higher priority and regularity than others. God loved us so much that despite our sin, despite our spitting in His face and not acknowledging His place in our lives, despite our seeking comfort in all areas of our lives, He provided a path forward by hanging the cross. He provided a way for us to come out of the darkness and into the light. I am reminded in verse 9 of freedom, of 
the joy of the promise that is provided in confessing our sins to a God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We shouldn't fear judgment or condemnation from a holy God. We don't have to feel guilt or despair. We shouldn't feel like we need to run and hide. No, church. Instead, we are free to bring the darkness to light by confessing our sin. By confessing our sin, we are made free and brought into fellowship with a God who is faithful and just to forgive. Finally, we see third and final attribute of God and understanding of God that we'll look at this morning in verse 10. That God is not a liar. In fact, he cannot lie. Verse 10, which really ties back to verse 8, says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Obviously, we know we cannot make God a liar. However, the Apostle John is underscoring that our claim to sinlessness was ascribed in verse 8, is making a claim that God is a liar. We know that the truth is in the Word of God, in that God is who He says He is. That Jesus, all His claims are true. That He is who He says He is. Either Jesus is right, that he is of the Father and was without sin, or the world is right, and he was a good man and a teacher, but not in fact God. There is light, or there is darkness. There is untruth, or there is truth. And folks, I'm here to remind us this morning that we can't sit on the fence of that truth. There is an objective truth that is provided to us in the Word of God. It is the the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ. We either believe the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done for us, or we are not of him. As Caleb provided last week in looking at John chapter 3, there is no, he was a good teacher, he had some good teachings, without acknowledging his kingship, his absolute authority, and that he alone was the one who lived a sinless life and the only one who could be the spotless lamb to atone for our sins and the sin of the world. He is who he says he is. That's Buffalo City Church, what unites us in fellowship, that 
is what allows us to confess together our sin. We've been given the gift of salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection, and we are united in the truth that he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And therefore, as children of God, as those who have been born again and have newness of life through the shed blood of Jesus, we are invited with him to walk in the light. So in conclusion then, as those who are holy, who have been set apart, what are the implications for us? As followers of Jesus Christ, acknowledging that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, what should our response be? How do we walk in the light? I think the implications in these six verses that we've looked at this morning is quite clear. First, that we walk in the light by glorifying God. Everything that we are and do should be through the lens of a follower of Jesus Christ. We acknowledge, as I just said, there's no middle ground. Either you believe or you don't. You either acknowledge with your lips and act by walking in the light, or you are turning from God and acting in rebellion to his commands. Every word, every thought, every action and reaction is either honoring or dishonoring God. Sure, there are morally neutrally grounds in our in our day-to-day, but the Lord knows our motives. He knows the intentions of our heart in all things. And in every thought, in every word, in every action, God knows why we think that, why we say that, why we act that way. And so we look to his word and pray to God that we wouldn't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewal of our mind that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There are no areas of your life that are off limits from glorifying God. Your marriage, your parenting, your workplace, your social circles, your posts and interactions on social media. None of them are off limits for acknowledging who God is, for acting and talking and thinking and right motives towards the truth of who God is. The commands that God has provided us in Scripture apply to all of those spheres, all of those actions. And as Jesus attested to over and over, warning the Pharisees of their rules and laws, there's no way to overcome the debt of our sin. 
accept that Jesus Christ paid for our sin through his death on the cross. And that then leads us to our second implication laid out in this set of verses. That we're called to confess our sins, acknowledging our position in relation to a holy God. Confession of our sins is not an easy exercise, as we know. It requires discipline. It requires an attentional approach. Are you making time to be in the presence of God, reading His Word and praying? Are you ensuring that your time of prayer includes a time confessing your sins, sharing and acknowledging that you've fallen short of walking in the light? That because of your unbelief, Your motives have been improper and incorrect. Maybe like me, sometimes you find yourself struggling to identify what those sins are. We quickly compare, oh, I'm good enough compared to that guy. Right? There must not be sin in my life, right? I'm doing better than him or her. God doesn't put it that way. God doesn't tell us that our sin is contrasting or comparing to others. No, all fall short of the glory of God. All of us in our sin nature consistently sin and are called to acknowledge it to a holy God. If you're struggling to identify those sins in your life, I encourage you to start looking this week at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. A rattled off list of areas and ways in which we can fall short. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is something in that list that you've stumbled upon this past week. Chances are, at some point this morning, a thought you've had or a word that you've said to your spouse may fall into one of those categories. As you think about and look at that list of sins, that's laid out in Galatians chapter 5. As the Lord reveals your sin to you, ask for forgiveness, turn, and repent from those things. And be reminded with a blessed assurance of the forgiveness that the Lord provides. 
and think of the response that he provided to the woman caught in adultery in Luke chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. After a group of people were ready to stone this woman for committing adultery, Jesus said, Come forward, those who haven't sinned, and cast the first stone, right? But Jesus, after they had all left, Jesus said to her, again in Luke chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. after you've confessed your sins, after you've asked the Lord to reveal to you where you have fallen short, I I hope, Buffalo City Church, that we hear those words from him after we've called out our sin. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So to summarize, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We have seen that in God's character, he does not cast out those who walk in the light. He is without sin, faithful and just to forgive. And he is not a liar. In fact, he cannot lie. With that, I close us then with this encouragement from Charles Spurgeon from his 1916 sermon titled Light of the World. He says, so let our faith excite our courage and our courage stimulate our patience and our patience gives zest to the full assurance of hope while we worship our Lord Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are light. Lord God, that you are a lamp unto our feet. Lord God, that your word provides direction and focus and an understanding of who you are. Lord God, we thank you that we can know you through your word, Lord God, that we can be transformed and renewed through your word. Lord God, we're thankful that we can have fellowship with God because of the truth of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Lord God, may we acknowledge and confess our sin. Walking in the light of the Lord in fellowship with our Savior and with one another as the local church. Out of love for your Son, Lord God, let us quiet our hearts and allow our sin to be exposed and our spirit to be renewed from the assurance that we have in the, Christ, in the cross of Christ. Lord God, may we be a people who love one another, 
out of a love for you. Lord God, would we point one another continually and consistently to the Father. May we point one another consistently to the Son who has cleansed us from all all unrighteousness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.